1: Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, thank you for holding it down solo last week. It is uh just before we are ramping up here, preparing for the playoffs. I had a busy week. I actually got some writing work, which is awesome. I just got my my first vaccine on Tuesday, man. Things are looking up as well with the Lakers. You know, I didn't get a chance to like, like, you know, have that awesome, like we messed up the Brooklyn Nets on their home court without half of our team discussion. You know, uh, we don't have to get too deep into it now, but that was like an exciting game. Like I feel like the Lakers haven't had and Lakers fans haven't had since like early February you know so that was just really promising to see all the guys and how they did it with THT and Kuzma and that in the defense and obviously Schroeder and Kyrie getting into it was super weird but
2: yeah in the 56 percent three-point shooting that definitely (laughs) should should probably get a shout out
1: (laughs) that that definitely helps but I mean Yeah, I'm not so certain uh, the the Nets defense, you know, they're not full strength, but I'm not (laughs) so certain that it's uh, it's not the Lakers just being bad, although they have shot better recently, which is promising, which we can get into. But yeah, man, I just wanted to do a quick download like. Ben Mclemore like played like 20 minutes in one game and seven in another, and he looked awesome and and able to make five threes and a a quick stretch and then can barely be on the court. So I'm still skeptical. I think the shooting definitely helps. I just, uh, you know, I find it hard to see if that shooting is so much more valuable than like Wes Matthews, like defense, you know, the drop off from West to Mclemore maybe might be worth that little defense playoffs wise. But I'm happy to have that Ben Mclemore option that like the Dion waiters role that we just didn't have yet. So thank you for holding it down on that. And uh, I don't know, like you seen anything particularly of note from him. It's another week with Drummond too. anything from those guys that you like, you like came up in the last week or so.
2: So Macklemore is certainly streaky. And we've seen that like going what, like he had like five threes the one day on a really high percentage and then like couldn't hit anything. Another game, it's going to go up and down, but when he has it, that's a huge boost to this team. And this team doesn't really have, like, we haven't had that guy that, like, when he's on, he's on and he's going to be high volume. And I was impressed with how McLemore was getting his threes. It wasn't – like, we know he yeah. kind of self – he has a background of self-creation a little bit. He's not the stand-in-the-corner catch-and-shoot dude. But he was, like, moving off of screens really well, sprinting off of them, getting – you know, the footwork looked good. He was getting to his spots. The, like – kick it out to him and then there was that one more pass to someone else who maybe isn't as good a three-point shooter but was wide open he wasn't making those passes but he's hit enough of the threes that like yeah it's okay um so i don't know I, I feel as though he's kind of been who we were expecting i think i learned more about drummond and we've hmm. seen more of drummond he's been on the team a little bit longer uh he like overall is a finisher and, and we've talked about this. Is a little bit poor, well, very poor. A little bit, he, <laughs> very poor. But he, I've, you know, from watching game after game, I see to, I see this trend of when he is under control, jump stopping, finishing towards the rim. He doesn't, de- he does a decent job, and he draws a lot of fouls. When he is driving at like driving to the basket but like kind of to the side of the basket or trying to finish around people that's where he's just not hitting anything and he has a lot of those drives he'll he'll face up a bunch in the post and then drive or at the the high post maybe you run those different off screen or cutting actions if nothing works go for you know he he isolates from the top of the from from like the elbow and he's driving to the rim all those sorts of things he's putting the ball on the floor but he's kind of driving like Past the rim and then finishing with his momentum going in one direction. None of that seems to be going in. So I don't know if that's just a couple games and that's the way it's looked or if if that's been a long term thing. But uh, his balance and him like using force in the right direction, just like, you know, bump a dude off legally, collect yourself, jump stop, put it up and in. He's been pretty good at that. So I don't know. To to me, that might be something the Lakers staff sees and says, like, "Oh man, you know, we can just tweak his tendencies as a player, get him to jump stop more, um, and he might finish better at the rim." Because I think that's going to be a big thing for him, somewhat now. Once LeBron and AD come back, even more so, because I think his role at that point in time will change a bit. And if he's underperforming drastically on the finishing, that's going to be frustrating, given the role he'll probably be, be in at that point. But other than that. I feel like he's kind of been who we thought he'd be. He looks pretty mobile. He's like that. uh, I talked about like a guard in a big man body with some of the way he does different things. And um, one thing that did stand out to me, he hasn't really been active in transition. He's got one made shot in five games, three total possessions, and he's got like 60 half court possessions because he moves pretty well. He's up and down the court. The Lakers haven't just found they just haven't found him. But I do think he's doing a good job getting post position. He gets deep post position. He does those. Uh, he'll seal the dude and get behind them and be between the defender and the rim, which is a great position to be in. So I'd love to see the Lakers get him more involved in that area. Um other than that, it's been about the same guy. Although, he has done some drop coverage, he's done some catch hedging, and he's done some show and recover, and all three have looked pretty good. So, I think defensively, he's shown me, he's answered some of the questions that I had going into his Lakers tenure, so so I'm pleased with that. But the have you noticed, like, the non-contests around the rim? His rim protection is bothering me. He'll, like, he'll, like, like that he play where Caleb out.
1: Mountain just dribbled 70 feet straight to a dunk? <laughs> yeah like
2: either either try to contest it or box out but you can't do neither you can't watch yeah. you can't be the tallest guy in the court and just observe dudes driving right at you like make a decision because he's also not boxing out and for some opponents it's fine because they're getting back in transition versus the knicks they were crashing a bunch and they got a ton of offensive rebounds so some of his tendencies are being picked up on a little bit, or it might just depend on who you're playing that day. Um, but that that interior defense has been, I think, the most frustrating part of his game. But I think offensively, especially with how long LeBron and AD have been out and will be out, and it's looking like way, way longer than we originally thought, I think him as a pickup has been really, really helpful.
1: I think... There's a couple things about Drummond that stand out to me. Like you mentioned with the post moves, he's physical and he's a big guy, right? So he's going to use that strength, especially in modern NBA. He has like a size advantage, and but he is yeah. often off balance. His shoulders are usually yeah. like not under his feet. So what he does is he'll like stop his momentum and then like spin and then like flick up a shot, right? Like a little hook shot that's like, did you even look at the front of the rim before you threw that up is what I think he has the ability, the size. He just doesn't have like the planning aspect of it where Mm -hmm. I know exactly what spot I want to get to. And I'm going to bump this guy here. He's, prone to get offensive fouls like when he'll face up on a dude or he gets that he's like I know I'm gonna put my shoulder into you but it's like actually you need to put your shoulder into him at this angle so you can you know what I mean seal him and and then like drop step or just like pivot into a an actual open shot where you're looking Mm -hmm. at the rim first so when he's physical down low to me he's like reckless in in a kind of a in a uncontrolled chaos kind of way so It's just not as deliberate as you'd like to see, which I think a guy like AD can maybe help with coaching. But yeah, I I mean, you, you see him still be able to protect the rim, but I think you really see it in, like, the Knicks game, right? The Knicks are this weird, like... Lakers East how they play defense Tibbs like very aggressive and mm-hmm. and how their bigs play too, just like bullying yep. you uh, in the way the Lakers did last year and you see with Trez a little bit Well, Trez is physical he's undersized Andre Drummond's not really physical I would say in the same way JaVale or Dwight is and, and that leads into just putting a body on a guy in a box out like he's a good rebounder because he's big but he could be even better if he made those plays on the margin and I think eventually, you know, with LeBron and, and AD back, you know, we talk about KCP like running his full stamina, chasing guys around screens, and understanding like where your stamina bar needs to be spent, right? And Andre Drummond's is being spent in like a different way than yep. than it would be if AD and LeBron were there. So promising things, but yeah, little things that you like to see. It's, it's not going to be a story of whether he can't play in the playoffs till I see him with LeBron and AD. Um, but with Ben McLemore, is a similar thing, right? The shot quality he's getting is not indicative of the shot quality he will get around these better lineups with LeBron posting in, the, in AD in the high post. And, and when those doubles come from the baseline, if they can skip and, and swing the ball around enough and, and one of those shooters is Ben McLemore, then his mm-hmm. life is just, yeah, Those we oh, see yeah. why he can be successful in that.
2: If he's the one standing in the opposite corner, getting the pin in flare screen, standing, still catching and shooting a corner three instead of Alex Caruso, that should yield better results. And and AC's shot threes really well this year, but Macklemore, and and again, he hasn't been shooting well on the season, but he has that potential and he's been that guy in the past. So I'd love to see how he fits in moving forward. I'm glad you mentioned the post-help thing because this is something that I've continued tracking. Every single play of every single game, and, and, and there's some logging going on, the Lakers haven't really gotten better at countering that baseline help. They've just posted up less with mm. AD out and then with LeBron out. It's just been less and less and less, so we haven't seen it be an issue because they're not trying to post up. When they do post up, it's still an issue. And now that Drummond's on the team, the team is posting up far more frequently than when it was Marcus Saul and Montrezl Harrell uh, as the dudes. It was it was really Trez and Keefe would be the two guys that would post up um, pre-Drummond and, and after LeBron went down. Now that Drummond's out there, he's posting up a ton, and we see the same types of help defense coming, and we see the Lakers continue to struggle, but I do think Drummond, f- from his perspective, is doing the right things. He faces up a bunch, and he usually surveys the floor. There's nothing happening, and there's nobody open. But he's he's like behaviorally, he's looking for that. So if the Lakers put these pieces together and they start executing those flare screens, when Trez is out there, he's kind of looking to score himself. He might not see it when Drummond's out there. If it's happening, he's going to find them. And he's found dudes just standing still that are open, and, and have got, he's gotten good shots for teammates that way. So I think he's a good fit for the solution to the Lakers' current problem even though the solution hasn't really been activated yet. Yeah. So, I in that way he's a good fit, but this has reminded us that the Lakers haven't solved this issue this issue, they've just kind of postponed it because AD and LeBron haven't been playing.
1: On a completely non-basketball side of things, I, you know, after hearing him speak in a few different post-game pressers, I, I like Andre Drummond a lot more than you know. I realized, like I, you know, you don't hear everyone in the league talk uh, after games, and just like his energy, his positivity. He seems excited and enthusiastic, and just you know, even down to stuff like Harrison asking about the big penguin nickname, and he's like, yeah, that's really funny. Uh, I mean, I'd like something more aggressive, but you know, the kids <laughs> get. That's a good. I like the dude, and I, you know, that's apropos yeah. of nothing. But there's a an energy there that I appreciate, and I do think that you know, like who's had that comment about the coaching staffs that he's worked with. And we talked about Andre Drummond is the best option you can get. If you chop his game up the way LeBron role players do sometimes. And mm-hmm. I'm still pretty encouraged that with a, the attitude I've seen from him and, you know, the Lakers actually kind of going 500 over this stretch, partly because of him. I think he's, Willing and able to adapt and uh I don't know. I just I, hearing him speak, I, I I like the dude a lot more and more each time.
2: Yeah, it's whenever you get that personality, as long as like they're good dudes, like that that really shines through. You you grow attachments yeah. to these players. And I felt that same way getting to hear him answer questions and have fun and smile and, and joke around. Um I I, I love it. And the energy is really good with him and a guy where the energy has been a little bit more negative. And I think this is the last last point I'd love to touch on. And then we have some some more big picture discussion uh, debate coming up.
1: I think I know this is going. Yeah,
2: Marcus saw the poor dude like and he uh, one thing I want to note is I don't think Saul Harrell is happening. The the, like power forward center combo. It's been how many games and we haven't seen it at all. Like not a second. Not a second. And I get the initial comment from Vogel. The first game it was possible. I think it might have been the Nets game was, yeah, we want to use that, but this isn't the right matchup. Have Has every game past that not been the right matchup or is it just not something you want to do? And if you don't want to do it from a mobility concern standpoint, I would just, this is me brainstorming. I think like, hey, maybe try his own. Like, Throw some 3-2, throw some 2-3 out there. That We haven't seen the Lakers use it. And I think, we're, you know, earlier in the season, we talked about, like, I'd love to see the team go through a stretch of switching and, and nail down some of that execution. I'd love to see the team go through a stretch of... Uh, double teaming and, and figuring those things out. I'd love to see the team go through a stretch of zone and, and kind of work out what that might look at like. Experiment now so in the playoffs you can pull to that. We haven't really had that opportunity with some of the team's best players going down. This might be one of those unique scenarios where it's not, you know, we're experimenting and it might not work and, and you know, that's going to hurt, hurt us and we're going to lose more games. But it, it would be a way to get the, I think he's third or fourth in defensive impacts among centers, Like, get him out there, get that facilitation out there. He's one of the team's best playmakers. He's hitting his three, spacing the floor pretty well. It's, I understand that bringing Drummond, you want to give him minutes. And like or hate Drummond, like or hate Macklemore, they need to get minutes now so the team can see what they have. With those two players. You can't have them playing five, 10 minutes a game and really get a sense for if they are gonna fit on this team in the playoffs. And you can do that eval without LeBron, without AD. Under you have to be able to, you know, make decisions and ambiguity and all that stuff. But this time is valuable for those two. I would still love to see that Gasol Harrell pairing just tried, I think. But uh that that's the last thing for me. I feel for Mark, as much as you're excited, and I'm excited about Dre. I, you know, you, you have to feel for Marcus, who's like performed pretty well. It's just it doesn't seem like the team is is he's not really what they're looking for right now, and that's to me it's it's a little frustrating because I see the data every day and I'm like, damn, this guy's doing really well in a lot of key areas in areas the team is struggling. Um, but we'll, we'll just see how, how the situation plays out. I trust the coaching staff. I think they'll make the right decisions. And he's just a guy, like we've talked about in the past, you want to keep the right players engaged. We couldn't, like when Keith and Wes were out of the rotation, you still need to keep them engaged, keep them ready. If Gasol, you know, it just kind of disengages, and then you get to the playoffs, and you need someone to defend Joel Embiid, and he's just not ready for it, that's not a great situation. So so that's something I think about. Same thing with Nikola Jokic. So that's just... Uh, One more angle. We've seen the pros. This is like the the other end of it. This is the camera going to the losers in that championship game in March Madness. Like there are emotions on both sides. And it's just part of that experience.
1: Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of hard work to be done because, I mean, again, Lakers are suffering through a lot of injuries right now, but healthy, they have a lot of really difficult lineup questions to answer. They have mm-hmm. like 11 or 12 guys who have all played at some point in the season, like starter to six man minutes. And I particularly think Mark would be a useful like THT crutch in pick and rolls to give him a spacing element. Basically, any of those second units that need an extra spacing, you know, unfortunately, we haven't needed it. But, you know, I think like we did see him for a stretch in that Knicks game where I thought we kind of probably could have used a second quarter shift from him as well. But it didn't turn out to be that great either. It wasn't the worst, but. You know, like the spacing alone would have helped against that aggressive Knicks play help defense, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the way they use him matters, too, because something I noticed with that Nick stint when he came into the game later in the game, he was just kind of standing in the corner like he wasn't yeah. involved. It wasn't OK, Mark's in the game. Yeah. We're going to run stuff through him. If Marcus saw to your offense is just a floor spacer that's going to give you, you know, average performance on hopefully good quality shots. That's one thing. If you bring him in and he's able to facilitate offense, you get guys cutting and moving and screening and you you leverage that playmaking. He helps your offense in a different kind of way. So how useful he is can really depend on how you use him. And at the beginning of that stint, he wasn't really being used. And then later on, he kind of got into that and we saw some of the dribble handoffs and we saw players getting open shots. Um, But but that's another element to this as well.
1: All right, man. So let's switch gears here a little bit. Uh, One of the things we enjoy the most on this pod when we started back in the playoffs was just looking at the lay of the land, how different teams match up, the adjustments, the games within the game, uh, so to speak. So what we want to do over the coming weeks is kind of look at some of the potential Western Conference opponents the Lakers could face. Now, there's a lot of upheaval, right? We just had Jamal Murray's ACL injury. Um, obviously LeBron and AD have been out for some time and different teams that the standings are so close, you know, basically from like four to seven or so can kind of land in a lot of different ways. So mm-hmm. I personally don't think the Lakers are in jeopardy yet of falling into that play-in like seventh level. Um, but it's definitely possible. They do have a tough schedule. They've got a couple of, uh, you know, like baseball series against Utah and Dallas coming up that will likely be without LeBron and AD but, Tim, in a, just thinking about it, about team by team, let's not worry about seeds, because whether it's the six and the three, that's kind of irrelevant. Home court, not worried about either way. Lakers have it. Don't feeling confident with a healthy team. But that said, let's pit these two teams. Let's go Denver. And Portland, Denver with the the Jamal Murray injury. Portland's been kind of struggling a little bit. Dane's a little bit of a a slow streak. Um, You know, they're integrating Norm Powell. Um, So let's unpack it later. But if I had to give you a choice between which team you'd rather face, who would you pick?
2: So for the purposes of this discussion, I am going to be representing the camp of I would rather play Denver.
1: Okay. Does that what you believe?
2: <laughs> no, but but we can talk about that at the end. We will. But, we'll get
1: into it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We'll get into it. And and I like that we're doing this. You know, we we did the devil's advocate with Drummond and Jones, and I like that. I I, I want to get into that sort of thing with this. My true feelings, I think, are I'd rather play Portland, but I do think there are merits on both sides. I would love to. You know, I'll be the defense attorney. I'll pick sure, up the sure. case and I will argue on behalf of I would rather play Denver. Um, and then at the end, I'll share more of my real thoughts. And I'm sure you'll hit on on probably what I'm thinking anyway. But yeah, I I, I would much rather I, w- I would rather for the purposes of this discussion, I would much rather play those Denver Nuggets and their. uh, you know, Jamal Murray's out and maybe they bring in Austin Rivers. We'll see what that looks like. But that's that's who I'd rather play.
1: No, I just think that's interesting because I agree, actually. And I I think that's maybe a little bit uh, out of left field for some people who think, well, Jamal Murray is just Nugget's second best player and he's out for the season now. But I do. So I'll I'll take I'd rather play Portland in this discussion. You're Mm going to take you'd rather play Denver. So just so people know, we do both would rather we both would rather play Portland. But for the purposes of this discussion, one of the things that the reasons I would rather play Portland Another, these are both teams the Lakers faced last postseason. Yeah. Portland has they both have somewhat changes on the margins. You know, Aaron Gordon, Norm Powell, Derek Jones, you know, Robert Covington. So Portland is retooled a little bit more. Obviously, Denver is a little bit hurting now, but what Portland does with their guards and and scoring from the perimeter and using Nurkic as that short roll passer. I think the Lakers are the worst possible matchup for Portland. They even with Robert Covington, we saw him with with Houston, so okay shooter, but inconsistent. Definitely not a guy you can count on for you know twelve to fifteen points every night guaranteed. Maybe gives you another body for a LeBron or AD, but he's not big enough. Still, he doesn't. There's not no one it's not a a factor in, in guarding these guys and to me the way the lakers schemed um to beat that trap def- to beat that to trap dame and to to blitz we've seen that more in the regular season now and ultimately i think stotts is a a good coach but i don't know if he's a high level adjustments chess master um on offense, especially, and this is not counting, Tim, the Blazers are like 29th in defense. So for a team who's had the Lakers like very apparent half court struggles, you definitely are, you know, licking your chops and seeing a 29th ranked defense.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'll I'll push back. I think Portland's scary. I think Norm Powell is a good ad- addition for them. He can shoot. He can make a little bit like he's more of a complete player than they had as a third banana last year. They they had their Dame. They had their CJ. The Lakers used those. It was a lot of catch hedging and weaking screens with the big showing and just like not giving up the pull-up threes. And then Portland... Wasn't able to beat it. They tried the short roll and Nurkic couldn't handle any of those. And they weren't running a a lot of the tactical counters. Dame wasn't stringing out ball, uh, stringing out hedges to get those one-on-one isos the way that Jamali Murray did the next round with Denver. There were a lot of little things they didn't do that created a huge missed opportunity. And I mean, the Lakers were going to win that series either way. But it like completely got rid of any chance Portland had to make any sort of noise. And they have some really dynamic guard playmaker scores. Um what we've seen this year from them is like you said, Stotts isn't the the grandmaster of chess, but we've seen and we've seen it firsthand with the Lakers playing Portland. They've made a lot of the adjustments that they probably wish they could have made last playoffs. I think they they saw exactly why they lost or like the biggest thing that like embarrassed that offense, learned what they can do differently. And we've seen like we've seen Nurkic just be better in the short roll and that helps. But we've seen them do things X's and O's wise to like attack the tag man or remove the tag against the roll or Dame flipping the screen so it, your man shows hard on the left. Actually, we're going to go right instead of left. So now your big man's way out of position to try to contain me. Um, or doing little things with uh, Mellow as a pick and pop option to attack that hedge. Just lots more smarter attacks where just play after play, maybe your talent is a little bit lower than the team you're facing, but you're gaining marginal edges constantly in a way that, at least when we played them this year, has been really successful. And it's been really impressive. It hasn't been like, oh, we have one answer. No, they've had like eight different answers. I did a whole video on like, holy crap like there are issues with this defense potentially and here's what portland's you know doing to attack it um just stringing out those hedges and turning them into isos there's more they're, they're a better team They're they're a better team in the right ways so that they can continue throwing that fastball pitch for them which is that dame and cj pick and roll attack so that i think gives us a better version of portland than we've seen in the past in a way that like I don't like game can be scary. He's in a down stretch right now. CJ was out for a good bit of the season, but he's back. They're both knocking down, pull up threes left and right and scoring ISO ball screens. Like I feel pretty good about our defense, but that offense to me is scary.
1: Well, yeah, they, the, the way they beat the Lakers is if they shoot like 45% from three as a team on like, you know, 40 attempts a game or something crazy because Mm -hmm. they have, they have the shooters. Like you said, they, they've got high, quality high volume shooters, guys who can create their own shots, guys who can spot up, guys who can get to the rim and get others involved. But Tim, let's break this down in a little bit different way. So I'm curious about um thinking about it, framing the teams around their weaknesses and how the opponent can exploit that. Right. So we talked a lot before he joined the team about Montres Harrell's you know, weakness in potential playoff matchups. As a bench center, you know, assuming he's probably playing over Mark and Dre is starting, which is another concern, right? Dre specializing in drop coverage against a team like this could be concerning, you know, if he does get better at catch hedging, that's great, but still, you can see how that's exploitable. How does Trez match up against the Blazers' backup center, NS Kanter? Does that a matchup that favors Portland or LA to you? Is that something where, you know, and his cancer size and rebounding ability can put those pressure, you know, his offensive ability, put the pressure on Trez on that end of the court and mitigate what Trez can provide in the other areas for the Lakers on offense.
2: I am so glad you mentioned this, Tom. So glad. So glad. I'm, I'm so glad you're helping me with my argument. When this discussion, when this debate, you're throwing the lob up. I'm no Andre Drummond. I can jump. I can I can finish the lob. Careful. I, I this might be coming. an
1: Alex Caruso lob. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that, that's true,
1: <laughs> but that's a great point.
2: If we're looking at potential backup center matchups with the Denver Nuggets, Paul Millsap isn't beating the hell out of uh, Montrez Harrell in the post or beating him on the boards. But Ennis Cancer can. There's a lot of there are a lot of things Ennis Cantor can't do, and there's a reason why in the playoffs his value has been limited. But. What he's good at is winning on the offensive boards and winning in the post. And those are two things that him versus Harrell, those are the two weaknesses Trez that has. And when we think about what Cantor can't do, which is some of those more aggressive screen coverages, we don't need to like you don't need to do against the Lakers of any team in the playoffs there there's not a single team that has more pick and roll ball handlers that you play less aggressively than the Los Angeles Lakers. You're going under with your guard, you're dropping your big when when Gasol's not in there, you're not having any pick and pop options. The Lakers aren't doing super creative things with having those big men go screen for for shooters or anything like that. They're just rolling. So you let LeBron, if LeBron's going to beat me on a bunch of pull-up threes and pull-up twos, so be it. But if you can keep Ennis Cancer out there doing what he's good at doing and letting him beat up Trez on the other end, I think that plays into Portland's favor.
1: Now, to be fair, and let me devil's advocate, my devil's advocate of your counter, but the bench lineups play less in playoffs, right? So just generally... Yeah, you know, I'm not and they do have Nurkic, he will be playing down the mm-hmm. stretch. Um, I imagine. Now, Ennis Cantor has his own weaknesses as well. Now, this could be a THT series off the bench, exploiting Cantor's defensive inability to guard the rim, pick and rolls, get to the rim, create his own shot. Now, again, Taylor Horton Tucker probably won't have a very impactful usage coming into the playoffs, but there are certain scenarios against bigs like that where it, Tim, how good is he at finishing at the rim this year? Re-
2: really good. <laughs> we reran our finishing data and he was he's somewhere in like the top 10 at this point. Uh, he's getting to the rim better than James Harden and he's finishing at the rim better than a whole lot of players, even just with that one hand. And he's taking some of the most difficult shots of any player at the rim this season.
1: And Schroeder's another guy, right? So Schroeder, mm-hmm. THT, obviously Braun. These are the guys who are going to exploit those cancer minutes. And what what I would do if, if I'm Vogel is, well, you play Gasol and, and Trez. Play Gas- like Gasol, take cancer in those matchups. I think you still have enough spacing. You have the size, you know, because who's the backup for for, um, for Portland?
2: That is a good question that I don't remember the answer. To. Exactly,
1: it's kind of those you know, get <laughs> D- Derrick really Jones have, Jr. minutes. Like, yeah, they're gonna shift they, someone up, basically.
2: Yeah, they have like centers, and then they have like a bunch of guards and smaller wings, yep. and then they have Roko. They don't really have like those in between. They don't have an Aaron Gordon, right? They don't have that kind of guy.
1: And Derrick Jones Jr. is too slight, so he's not really like a, a LeBron or or AD option per se. He's kind of a. If I need to bother maybe a smaller wing or guard guy, I'm going to put like this, like athleticism and length on him, like a DJJ. But other than that, what are the options for Portland to they they don't have enough fingers for all the holes in the dam?
2: So I think that's a good point, but they do have a lot of scoring. I think this is going to be they have to rely on that offense defensively. They're going to have to do things creatively. We saw them in the playoffs send some extra help in the post. Lakers struggled against it a little bit as they have this season as a whole. I this is a team that I expect to give us a first wave of tactics. And then if the Lakers beat it, they're probably good. This isn't a second or third wave team. This isn't Mike Malone's going to give you a second wave. Eric Spolstra, he's going to give you a third and fourth wave. If you can beat the game plan coming into the series from Portland, you're probably in pretty good shape as the Lakers. Um I'm glad you brought up Schroeder and THT. I think you make some good points. But on the other end of the court, you know what Schroeder and THT aren't good at? Defending off ball, and you know what Terry Stotts and his very criticized uh, offensive scheme does? It puts Dame and CJ off ball all the time. They're they're running all uh, pin downs, flare screens, left and right. And last year we saw Caruso, we saw kcp they did a pretty good job against it but if you do want to play schroeder you do want to play tht those guys that offensively are going to add some really good value against this portland defense and their weaknesses on the other end they're going to go right back at you so that's the it's this is an interesting series where like it's either strength on strength or like weakness on weakness like strength on weakness on one end and then strength on weakness on the other end they'll they'll go right back at you there's a two-edged sword with tht and schroeder in this specific series
1: like the Blazers are gonna kill us from three and the Lakers are gonna kill them in the paint. Yeah. It's kind of like the the foundation and whichever's better, which I think the Lakers size, physicality, you know, obviously LeBron and A D, like some version of healthy is kind of what we're assuming here. Um but I guess out of 10, Tim, and then, you know, we'll we'll move on to de- talk Denver a little bit more here. Out of 10, what would you rank Portland as a threat to the Lakers in the first, second, whatever round?
2: Like relative to other teams?
1: Just, well, I mean, relative to the Lakers.
2: So I I, I don't know, one to 10. I'd say the Lakers would have like a pretty solid like 80% that an 85% chance to win that series.
1: So they're like a 1.5 or a 2? It's not hard to.
2: Okay, I'll say they're, <laughs> I'll, I'll give them a 3. I'll give them a 3.
1: That's what I would give them for the record. I just threw okay. that at you. You didn't prepare anything. I just figured it would be a simple fucking question, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's take a quick Ooh. break and then we'll come out and uh, talk a little Denver Nuggets down.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right, back from break. Um, I would rather play Portland. And so I am going to lay out the case why I wouldn't want to play Denver despite the fact that Jamal Murray went down and it's a couple of things the Nikola Jokic factor I think Nikola Jokic as of this point as great as Dame is as great as he's been in the clutch I think Nikola Jokic is a a bigger floor raiser and maybe even a ceiling raiser at this point as well as far as uh improving the quality of play from the players around him Now, the other thing is I think Denver is fairly deep. You know, they did get um, Aaron Gordon getting Austin Rivers would be, you know, not even like a a small facsimile of Jamal Murray, but is he is an NBA player? He he is an NBA player who can play NBA minutes. Right. And to me, the Aaron Gordon addition with Jermichael Green and Paul Millsap, um, what Jokic can do from the high post, this is forcing them basically to play Mark Gasol, because I don't think Drummond can guard Jokic. I don't think Trez can guard Jokic. Obviously, AD can, but that's not maybe what you'd want to deploy him right away. So to me, there's like the Aaron Gordon on LeBron factor, the size, the athleticism, the youth, the, you know, like Jokic operating out of the post. They still have Will Barton is a guy with size who can exploit maybe KCP a little bit on that end. I I see the pieces. Monte Morris is a solid backup. You know, I wonder even if they would start Rivers and keep Morris in that backup because he's a little small. And we did kind of exploit that a little bit. You know, he wasn't so much of a factor in last playoffs. P.J. Dozier is still there. Kind of this weird guard-wing hybrid who kind of can't shoot but is kind of a strong, you know, aggressive defender. So they have the pieces to be malleable and shift around what the Lakers can adjust to. And I think the Lakers are actually, I do, I would favor the Lakers, but despite the Jamal Murray injury, I think that the Nuggets and just their system and Mike Malone proving he's a better adjuster than 60s, percent of the league, maybe more in the, you know, we, cause we started up the pot again, right? Like I think just before that series and we did a good job breaking it down, but we also gave Mike Malone good praise. I think he did a lot of good things in uh, exploiting things from the Lakers kind of like pick and roll, uh, coverages. But I I guess I just respect Denver quite a bit. I I liked them pretty, not like favored, but I liked them to, Maybe even get to the Western Conference Finals uh, with the post Aaron Gordon, kind of how they were playing. I, they're fun to watch, man. And Jokic is just something else. So I still would rather play Portland. But what's your case against, I guess? What's your like, ah, Jamal Murray's out. Is it that simple? I think...
2: There's a lot going into it, and and I agree with the starting point that, that you come from where, like, post-Gordon trade, pre-Murray injury, that stretch of games, this team was really scary. And to the point where I was on the fence on if I would prefer to, like, try to win as much as possible and play them in like the four or five, or if you'd almost rather lose a little bit and then play one of like Phoenix or yeah. Utah, probably not, you don't want to play the Clippers, but Phoenix or Utah potentially. And and that might mean being in that seven or eight seed and having to win a play-in game. Uh, it, it, that Denver was playing that well that it became a, a real discussion. And I don't know if I was quite there, but it I was having those internal debates with murray out i'm absolutely not i like i would so much rather play this team be the five seed potentially be the four seed with with murray out probably going to be losing some games you might be able to get home court for that series and i think you just have to look at like what this team is and how many options they have to do what they want to be doing Jokic is their hub Jokic is their mvp he's probably the league's mvp um but without murray they lose a really big dynamic of their offense in general and then a big dynamic that helps make jokic better this team's offense with jokic and murray playing together this season had a 126 offensive rating plus 13 net rating with Jesus jokic y- this is that's that's Holy garbage shit. time removed this is from playbyplaystats.com garbage time removed plus 13 net rating with those two guys on the court
1: 126 <laughs> Like plus thirteen is great, but one twenty six
2: crazy, so good. Um, Jokic without Murray, one seventeen offensive rating, still pretty good. Minus two net. They're not the same team. That's a that's a fifteen point swing net rating with Murray in there, who I think helps make Jokic better and vice versa. Versus Jokic with no Murray, and I think they were a deep team, but now they're playing PJ Dozier. They're twenty eight minutes. They're playing. I'm gonna say his name wrong. Facundo F- Campazo. No, you said it right. Did I say it right? Yeah. He's playing 25, 26 minutes a game. They're they're playing like Monte Morris is starting now. Austin Rivers is gonna come in, and yeah. he has a bunch of holes in his game. He's he's avail. He was available until like a day ago. He's. I don't even think he's signed right now, but like he's available for a reason. I think he could add an element to them. He could have add, added an element to the Lakers. But he's been available for free agency for a while in that buyout market and and for a reason. But when we look at this team and, and I think about like the, the offensive engine discussion that we had last playoffs, like, all right, we're playing them. You know, Jokic is going to create offense for himself and others. But when you look at like a guy like Michael Porter, you know, he's a very efficient this year. He's got lower touch time. He's people are comparing him to Clay, Clay Thompson. He's not Clay Thompson. He's not knocking down spot-up shots really well, but he's not coming off of screens. He's not playmaking. Like, if, if you do a good job against Jokic and he's not getting good shots, good catch-and-shoot threes, he's not going to hurt you. It's kind of like Gary Trent Jr. last year in the playoffs with Portland. If you turn him into a self-creator, He's going to be a bad version of himself and and you're going to be in pretty good shape. Um, and like Michael Porter Jr., he's averaging like one isolation attempt per six games this season. He is not self-creating. He is very much a finisher. When we look at Will Barton, he is not the dynamic player that Jamal Murray is. If we look at their pick and roll game, which sets up a lot of their offense, uh, Jamal Murray knocking down, he shoots four pull-up threes a game. He's knocking down 39%. That is lethal. That is That is a legit legit threat that makes you have to play different types of screen coverages. Will Barton, one and a half pull-up threes a game, 34%. Michael Porter Jr., about one pull-up three a game, 30%. Compazzo, 28%. Uh, Monte Morse is shooting 0.8 pull-up threes a game. Like, I'm going against this team. I'm going under every ball screen, and I'm staying on Jokic, and he's not getting a single goddamn open pick-and-pop or pick-and-roll. He's going to have to post up against his matchup, because I'm not switching any of this the way I would against Jamal Murray. He's going to have to post up our big men. And I, I do think Andre Drummond's... Uh, He's he's vulnerable. He's this is a dude that like yeah. has been burned uh, several years by Joel Embiid in the playoffs, like, you know, very on display for everybody. I don't feel great about that. But if we go small, this isn't a team that like you, they still have to keep Jokic on the floor. If you have AD right. out there against them, I think you can do OK. I think Gasol will do a good job against him. And they just they have rim protection problems like there are things that, you know, with Schroeder and attack attacking the rim. Them struggling to defend the rim, I think that goes in the Lakers' favor. I think without their ball screen offense setting up Jokic and without you know setting up open threes for guys like Michael Porter Jr. or Will Barton, I'm not as worried about it. It's It'll come down to, you need to beat us by posting up 50 times a game and beating different kinds of help and different types of defenders, all that stuff. And I'd, I'll take that bet, because I think on the other end of the court, they're not going to be able to stop the Lakers getting to the rim. Just like you said against Portland, the Lakers are going to get to the rim a ton. And Denver's not going to be that team that's going to go super hot from three on high volume with a bunch of dudes in a way that, you know, you can't you can you can't stop. So that's why I'm a little bit less afraid from De- afraid of Denver now than I was in the past.
1: So one name there I think you left out, though, that I think is worth considering. And I agree that they're. Obviously with Jokic, um, any team's going to have great playmaking, right? But they have, they had Murray as a solid playmaker, but they have Gordon now, who actually grades out pretty well here in your uh, playmaking player profile, except, except an F passing efficiency. But, you know, he's got a uh, playmaking talent, B grade, you know, passing creation quality is a D plus is pretty bad as well, but. I think he can do a little bit Hmm. of those things. Hmm. I don't think...
2: Low low quality, low efficiency passer? Thrust into a role bigger than himself?
1: Hey, gets a lot of high value assists per 75 uh, for his grade. Look, listen, this is a major blow to the Denver Nuggets in a lot of different ways. But I do think the elements of the Lakers side of how the post defenders on the Lakers minus AD is significantly different than last year. Is a negative for the Lakers uh, in in individual defense against Nikola Jokic.
2: Yeah, in remember the pods we were doing back then, we covered very like at length how the Lakers with Dwight Howard on the court against Jokic were kicking Denver's butt. Yeah, the Lakers without Dwight, but with AD out there defending Jokic, were getting beat. And beat pretty pretty well. So that's a situation where, like, can you rely on Marcus Saul to be that guy? He's not a Dwight type of post-defender. He's a he's a good post-defender. AD is an above-average post-defender. Uh, Andre Drummond is, like, a little bit below average post-defender. Can that group of dudes, and, and we know Trez is not a good post-defender, can that group of dudes defend Nikola Jokic? And we did see it in that one game as AD, like, I think that was the game AD went down with injury, right? Um Hmm. I think it was that game it might have been a it might have been a matchup with them a little bit earlier but we saw the Lakers as a team go out and send extra help and be rotating around and hustling and do a pretty good job of shutting Jokic down that gives me hope and gives me hope that it won't just be like a 1v1 Jokic is going to go to work all game long against our big men kind of situation.
1: So, ultimately, for me, I think the Nuggets have a better coach than the Blazers. I think the Nuggets have a better best player right now as far mm-hmm. as playoff danger to other teams. Um, I, I'm i not concerned about the Nuggets or anything. If we, I think if we match up with them, the Lakers will be fine and they'll find those. You know, obviously, AD has done well on Jokic. You know, like I said, you put him aside, the other defenders aren't great, but... As you've seen the last couple of years, I think the book on Jokic right now is beat him up, get him frustrated, get him in foul trouble. He is prone to uh, getting frustrated and just kind of, you know, acting out, I guess, which makes Mm -hmm. him a less effective player. And other than that, like this guy is very difficult to contain because of all the things he can do, quarterbacking at the top of the key that. Crazy Dirk fadeaway, he can hit. He can still get to the rim. Yep, yep. He's making threes. You know, this guy's got everything. So you have to make him beat himself in some respect. So that equation slightly different than this year than last year. And so Andre Drummond doesn't work there as well. Issue is if this is a Marcus All series and Mark hasn't been engaged, like your point earlier, how does that even look? You know, he can't. He doesn't have time to ramp it up. He's got a just go out there and match up with the one of the best centers in the league yep. and and do his best and and that's a that's a hard job to expect from somebody who's not you know engaged in the rhythm of the season
2: Absolutely, and you talked earlier about the Lakers, or actually no, I talked earlier about the Lakers being weaker off-ball with, with some of their guards. This is another team that's going to get dudes cutting and moving, especially with Murray out, especially needing to move even more of that offensive creation, that, that offensive vision, that offensive hub to Nikola Jokic and letting him facilitate to guys cutting around and screening for each other. That's, an, again, another situation where THT and can be a little bit exposed. And that worries me a little bit. And I was looking yesterday at Nikola Jokic's like impact data year after year. And he'd been a really, really, really good offensive player up until this this season. And, it, and then this season, it just like went through the roof and like broke the chart. It like went through the top of the chart with how the chart was set up. Like that's how crazy good he's been offensively. And I, I, like you're saying, like it's a difficult situation given who the Lakers have. If we had Dwight Howard on the team right now, I would be not worried about this Denver team. Yeah. Um but given just him not being here Given who the Lakers have available and given the fact that they're probably their best option in that situation is a dude who we've kind of seen on display the the emotion of being pulled out of the rotation. That That's a little bit worrisome because if you can't defend Jokic in the post, they're going to just cut us up. Um, and he's got every move available, super po- patient. Like this isn't one of those things. Like we've had games in the past where like I'll look at their synergy profile and be like, oh. It, like he has one move, like here's like the move to sit on. Jokic has every move, so it's 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 going to be really challenging series. And I don't know. I at the end of the day, so for this argument, I was saying I'd rather play Denver. At the end of the day, I still think I'd rather play Portland than the Nuggets, just because that that Jokic factor is so much. I think harder to stop, and it's that strong ISO and creation option, dude against a potential weakness of the Lakers in the post versus Damon CJ going up against a strength with the Lakers in their mobile bigs and their very good guard defensive play. Um, it, it, in that sense, and I don't know, just given the fact that like I don't I think the Lakers can go small against Portland,
1: yeah. not
2: worry about what Portland will do against them on the offensive end and then just beat up Portland's defense. Yeah. Whereas with Denver, you can go small and Jokic is going to stay out there, and then he's just going to be probably even better in the post. So at the end of the day, I'm on your side, and I think the Lakers should want to play Portland instead of Denver. Um, but I guess, all right, I'll, I'll turn your question back on you. One to, From a 1-10, to 10, how worried are you about the Denver Nuggets?
1: I think like a 4.5. I don't think I'm enough to go to like a 5, because okay. like 5 in, in like, insinuates like an average threat level. And I think they're just slightly below average um, in that respect. Like not a lot of teams have a guy who can legitimately average a 35 to 40 point triple double in a playoff series. And mm-hmm. I can see with the usage with him as the hub of that offense, even against a, of great defense, like he might be responsible for like 70 of their 98 points, but still like that's if, if he's on one night and, and you just can't stop him, and you start to double, he's just going to kill you that way, and then other guys are getting involved. So there's not a great kind of counter-counter with the Nuggets the way there might be with a team like the Blazers.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like how we talked about the Lakers post-offense in handling the double teams and the extra help. When they do it right, they're kicking butt, and then it puts you in a tough situation as a defense where you say, all right, well, I guess I can't help and we're just going to let those guys eat one-on-one. Denver does a good job countering post-help. And over a seven-game series with how strong that coaching is and how good Jokic is, if you feel handcuffed in terms of not being able to bring that help, you're in trouble. And if you are bringing that help and they're burning it left and right like they did against the Clippers last season in the playoffs, you're also in trouble. And, and who was that against? That was against Montre- our good friend Montrezl Harrell. So it's... I think we've brought up the right points. We, we've talked data. We've talked X's and O's. We've brought in the coaching. We've talked the roster moves and changes. We'll see how it ends up. I think maybe next time or, or at some point in the future, we'll do uh, Utah Phoenix, I think, is an interesting discussion. Because I think that's, that one's also a discussion. I think the the Clippers are on kind of in their own tier of like, I don't want to play them
1: among the teams in the West. You don't want to see playoff Rondo?
2: I I I mean I'm fine with playoff Rondo. I I don't want to oh, see yeah. the rest. Careful. I don't want to see the rest of that team. You're gonna get um, clipped. Uh, we'll we'll we'll, we'll see. So uh, I don't know, but I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, the, the team's been knocking out some wins. I think the Lakers can push for that five. They can push for that four seed with 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 Murray going down.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's going to be good stuff. So we're going to kind try and catch up uh, and ramp up the pause over the next couple weeks as we finish out the season and hopefully get some LeBron E.D. minutes before we close out. But uh, good stuff, my man. Um, let me do that again. Good stuff, my man. Uh, we will come back next time, and uh, yeah, let's do Utah and Phoenix, and just kind of check in. We got the Celtics tonight. Lakers playing with fans for the first time, so I'm pumped. We're coming to the home stretch of the season, which has been awful. Like I do feel genuinely sick about Murray and and all the injuries that have happened. Probably my least favorite NBA season in quite some time. But we are the defending NBA champion, of Los Angeles Lakers. Exceptionalism podcast. So. Tune in and we'll be ramping up to the end of the regular season and it's the playoffs. But until then, we'll talk to you guys next time.